Hey, everybody. Welcome into the back room. I'm Andy Ostroy. I am really looking forward to today's conversation with Congresswoman Jasmine Crockett. We shall get to her in a second. But first, thank you for tuning in today. We appreciate you listening, and we'd love to hear your comments. So email us at backroomandy at gmail.com and or post on our social media, and we'll read some feedback next time. And if you like the podcast, please follow or subscribe, and you'll be notified every time we post a new episode. Okay, let's get to Congresswoman Jasmine Crockett. She is an attorney, a former member of the Texas House of Representatives, and currently serves as the U.S. Representative for Texas's 30th Congressional District. Elected as a freshman in the fall of 2022, her district covers much of the city of Dallas and parts of Dallas and Tarrant counties. She's a member of the House Oversight and Agriculture Committees. Congresswoman, welcome back into the back room. Thank you so much, Andy. I look forward to the conversation. So I, before we get into all the house craziness, I want to get into <clears throat> the subject of Israel. Give me your, your take on where the situation is right now, but also specifically with regard to the impact not having a speaker, not having a functioning house has on this situation, specifically because Americans died in this barbaric attack. Americans are being held hostage, and it's, it is all connected. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that's been really frustrating uh, that I've been trying to tell people is that most Americans woke up and had no idea that there was this ongoing conflict that has existed for decades um, in Israel. The majority of Americans had no clue about this, right? They were just like, oh, what is happening? Why is there an attack? And now... Everyone is trying to explain what is really uh, a very complicated issue. Um, and they're trying to get everyone up to speed on decades long work of history, right? The one thing that we do know, and I think that we all need to be very clear about something that the former president, in my opinion, um, has no understanding of, which is why he was never qualified to be president and is never qualified to be president again is that there is a distinction between what we would consider a terrorist organization, acts of terror, and um, a conflict, right? Mm -hmm. Like there, there's, there's different things. And so there are those that don't understand that Hamas does not equal Palestinians, right? Mm -hmm. You have Palestinians that live in the Gaza Strip, and then you have Hamas, which is a terror organization that rose up from those living in or the Palestinian-controlled areas, but they are not necessarily equal to the same, if that makes sense, right? And so I, I need people to be very particular in speaking and understanding that there is a fight that is ensuing between Hamas and Israel. That's number one. But unfortunately, we have two million, approximately a million of the two million people, Palestinians, that are living in the Gaza Strip, and literally they are trapped right now. They have no way of getting out. It's not that Israel is going to have them come into Israel. And Egypt, at this point in time, has cut off their corridor. And so I understand that Israel absolutely wants to go after Hamas. The question is, does Israel have the ability to go after and dissect and pull out those that are just Hamas without harming civilians? I think we all know the answer to this. And so I, I think that the, the problem that exists right now is that Israel is expected to abide by 
the rules of war. Hamas, as a terror organization, there are no rules. Mm -hmm. That is why you saw them act in the way that they did, because they have no rules, right? And so, uh, you know, Israel, understandably, is very frustrated right now. But at the same time, uh, right now, we have civilians that are Israelis, that are American. We, we have a, a lot of hostages that are innocent in this. Should they also lose their lives? Um, because until Israel actually comes up with a way to dissect, it's kind of like how long it took us to actually get Osama bin Laden. It took a lot of time. It took patience. But we had to make sure that we absolutely got him um, and, and, did, and, and minimized the, the loss of life. And so I am very concerned about where we are now. Uh, we're uh, about a week after the initial attack from Hamas. Uh, we know that Hezbollah, who also is another terror organization, is looking to take advantage um, at another border that is about, I think it was about three to four hours for us to mm -hmm. drive from uh, Jerusalem up to that, that northern border where Hezbollah is. And, and the average person has no idea of, of what it's like to live with um, terror literally lurking at your every border. Um, and and I, I thought, you know, once we came back from Israel, because our freshman trip to Israel was in August, and when we came back and then still hearing the rhetoric about the invasion at the border when people here were talking about migrants right. um, crossing into America, it was so frustrating to me because I'm like, you have never seen what it is to have someone actually invading your border. Right. We had just come out of a tunnel that Hezbollah had spent over a decade digging through rock to get into Israel. And they had discovered these six tunnels and there was one that they still had open. And we had come out of this tunnel and they said, hurry, get on the bus. There is someone from Hezbollah taking pictures of all of us. And I still have that picture in my phone of him taking pictures of us. That is, is what it looks like to have an invasion. That is what it looks like to have terror at your border. But at the same time, as modern day democracies, we play by different rules. And, and so uh, it, it is my hope and, and prayer that in the conversations that our Secretary of State uh, defense um, are having with Israel that we, number one, um, get some better intelligence than what they had leading up to this so that they can do this in a very strategic way to minimize the loss of IDF soldiers, to minimize the, minimize the loss of civilians, both um, those that are being held hostage as well as Palestinians. You know, for those who don't really understand, uh, Israel is the size of New Jersey. So to your point, imagine if New York, Pennsylvania, uh, Delaware were at various times and or in history simultaneously launching an attack on, on you in New Jersey. Yeah. That's, that's what it would be like. Um, yeah. <clears throat> but no one, I think, would say that the loss of life, whether it's the Israeli side or the Palestinian side, children, innocent people, grandmothers, I mean, nobody should die. The, the problem 
And, and David French has an op-ed in the New York Times today, uh, which I think really gets to the heart of this matter, which is about the issue of distinction. And, you know, the you, you mentioned this before, that Hamas is not a, a government. It's not a military. It doesn't wear uniforms. It doesn't... Mm-hmm. It doesn't parade around in tanks and other armored vehicles. You know, to the contrary, what it does is it stores its armaments in civilian buildings. Mm -hmm. It it bases its operations in civilian neighborhoods. It uses its own people as human shields and and now doing so with the hostages who include Americans. So the question then becomes, if you are going to eradicate this threat, if you're going to decimate Hamas to ensure that another massacre that hasn't occurred since the likes of the Holocaust doesn't happen again. How do you dissect, to use your word, how how do you dissect and surgically attack and destroy Hamas if they have just parked themselves in the middle of civilians? And David French's point is, if you're going to fire rockets from hospitals and schools and civilian buildings and those places get destroyed, it is Hamas's fault. It can't be looked at as Israel's fault. But, you know, the blame game is just such a waste of time because in the end of the day, if people die, then that's what we're all concerned about. But it just doesn't get away from that question, that dilemma that Israel faces of what is the alternative then? No, and, and I, am, I am all the way with you. And, and for sure, this should not be a, a fault pointing. This This is definitely not the time. But I think this is the time to make sure that intelligence is a lot better. This, this unfortunately, is, um, in, in my opinion, one of those things that's going to take time. Mm-hmm. Because you, you've got to recognize, number one, Israel was caught completely off guard. Right. So it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh, my gosh, you just sucker punched me, which has happened. And then the immediate reaction, which the immediate reaction, in my opinion, was absolutely needed to go ahead and uh, minimize some of the infrastructure opportunities that they had and things like that. I absolutely think that there had to be an immediate response, right? But this is one of those things where there has to be an immediate and then there also has to be a long term. I don't think that you can go in and say, you know what, by the weekend we'll be done and Hamas will be gone. Because you got to recognize also, who was all this money flowing to? The money has never been flowing to the people. It's been flowing to Hamas. So who has the resources, if anything, to get out? Who's dug all these tunnels? I just told you about the Hezbollah tunnel, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. People are talking about the concern about the fact that Hamas also has dug tunnels underneath, right? So Mm -hmm. like, as far as I'm concerned, if they've been planning for two years, my guess is that they already planned out the fact that, number one, Israel will be caught off guard. Number two, that we will draw them in. Like, for all I know, Israel is walking into a trap. Mm-hmm. I mean, people people have no, con- I had no concept. So maybe call me ignorant, but I'm going to go ahead and go out on a limb and say, the average person has no concept. Mm-hmm. I mean, to walk into this man-made, we would dig through rock tunnel, it was, it was unlike anything I ever imagined, mm-hmm. right? Like, this is, some Shawshank Redemption next level <laughs> stuff, right? Like I was like, what is this? Like people do this in real life. Mm-hmm. Like to me, that was only something that you see in TVs. And so, you know, to me, it, it, what what I would say is, and 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 to also be clear, 
as as we were having these conversations, you know, they were telling us things like, we know they have X amount of rockets. And I'm like, well, if we know they got that many rockets, I don't know, if we know how many they have, then in my mind, we know where they are because how else will I know, right? Mm -hmm. So we were told about how many rockets they uh, felt like Hamas had. So in my mind, I mean, I didn't go into deep conversations and say, well, tell me exactly where they're stored. But in my mind, they had to know where they were stored, right? Like I, I just assumed that they had the intelligence because they knew they had an approximation of how many rockets were stored as we were um, better learning about Iron Dome and, and seeing Iron Dome and things like that because America has invested in Iron Dome, which I, you know, there are those that for whatever reason have issues with Iron Dome. I've never had an issue with that, right? Like that is purely self-defense for sure, right? Um, and, and the kibbutz that has been uh, really widely talked about because it's the one where they talked about the, the children and the beheading, we were in that kibbutz. And I, and, uh, and, and I remember thinking that the scariest thing about being there for me was the kids. Mm. It, was, it was the scariest thing for me. And, and while I never, ever anticipated reports like what we have seen about those children, I was concerned because there were bomb shelters that had like cartoons and, and, and these pictures of these very childlike pictures on bomb shelters, mm. right? And they were explaining to us that literally you get seconds five seconds right. to get to one of the bomb shelters and how they train the children. And, and we also, and, and these are things that I'm, I'm going to, you know, in the near future show pictures of, cause I've got pictures of what it looks like when Iron Dome intersects one of these rockets mm -hmm. and then the debris falls. And there was a woman that lived in this kibbutz who uh, was showing us, you know, what she had collected throughout the years. Um, so that we could see. Uh, but the fact that there was a literal massacre of these babies, mm -hmm. it, there is nothing but pure evil that does that. How do you explain the, the colossal joint intelligence failure of Israel and the United States to not have any clue? I mean, I, it's I, unfathomable. I so so I, I don't get that at all. I will say that here in uh, the recent days, we've seen uh, satellite footage, right, of, of them training. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there was there was stuff there. Um, I, I just I, I will tell you that one of the advantages that an organization, a terror organization such as Hamas, Hezbollah is next level. Hamas is not really respected as uh, being that coordinated, being that, I, I think that the fact that they were considered an underdog that only can shoot rockets over and we've got Iron Dome, I honestly think they were underestimated. I, I really do. Yeah, clearly. I and, mean, land, air, and sea. I mean, it was a, a multi-pronged yeah. attack. Uh, yeah. Just unfathomable how any of that went undetected. What do you make of the reports out of Egypt that Egypt apparently warned Israel a couple of days, two or three days prior, and, and apparently it, that morning went unheeded. Is that something that's been refuted yet in Congress in terms of intelligence? I, well, or? It, clearly we're not talking about it. 
<laughs> we're not having very many conversations at all. Right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna um, get you know, to that in, I, a, in a second because I'm dying to talk to yeah, you. Yeah. So we've about that. So we've not had those, but but it, literally being able to see the satellite images. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, most people don't understand between satellite drones, like all the thing. I mean, the technology is there. And we're talking about the Gaza Strip, which is very small. And like now looking at these images, it's a matter of, you know, when when you get intel, it's a matter of here, here's the information that we have. Do with it what you will. Right. Like that. That's how it works. Right. Like no one is going to tell another country like this is, you know, what to do or what not to do or whatever. Right. But you give them the, the data and the information and it's a matter of you process this however you want to, but this is not looking good, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't know what those conversations were like. I don't know that they will ever be public what those conversations were like. Um, but I, this is not a matter of, in my opinion, from, from being able to see images of them training, in my opinion, this is not a matter of, um, you know, they were stealth and they were underground. They absolutely weren't. And this is a matter of, in my opinion, an underestimation. And that's why, you know, it is important that you have competent um, leadership. And I'm not saying that anybody's not. I don't want that to be. When I'm thinking of this, I'm thinking of Trump. So let me be clear, because I, I need people to connect the dots on how a, a leader or leaders can be uh, national security risk to their people. And, and I don't know that, uh, and I definitely did not meet with all of the leadership uh, in Israel. For sure, we did meet with some leaders, definitely didn't meet with all of them. Don't know whose job is to do what. But you think about somebody like Trump and the fact that he flippantly was praising Hezbollah. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is a guy who would love to pal around with Putin. This is a guy who admired Chi. Right. Like these types of ignorant people put us at risk. Right. And and also um, they they downplay the, the serious threat that these types of people can present. And so I, I think going forward, um, no one will be underestimated by Israel. But I, I don't know that I really believe that this was so much of a huge intelligence failure, knowing how a superior Israel is when it comes to intelligence. Mm -hmm. um, and also, if it is true that there were warnings from Egypt, I don't know that it was really an intelligence failure so much as it may have been an underestimation. I really truly believe, I mean, you think about it, it, it and most people don't understand this, but the IDF, everyone goes into the IDF and they do their tour, I believe it's like two years mm -hmm. uh, minimum that you have to do yep. once you're of age. And so everyone gets trained. They do have the best intelligence. They've got Iron Dome. They've got the, the tank. They've got all the things, right? I really think that this was just a matter of it's a Hamas and they're a disorganized terror group. They, they can't do, you know, I, I think it was an underestimation. I really do. I think Ultimately, when everything kind of comes out in the wash, I don't think it will be that the information wasn't there. I think it will be how the information was processed. Right. And or prioritized or lack thereof. I mean, you know, people talk Correct. about how Netanyahu was busy protecting settlers in the West Bank and diverting resource, military yeah. resources there and that the, the southern uh, borders were open and vulnerable. 
Uh, he's also preoccupied with his own personal self-preservation in terms yeah. of changing the judicial process in Israel. So yeah, I think all that's going to yeah. come out. And before we, we talk about the, the chaos in the House with the vacancy and the speakership, the w- one last question on Israel I want to ask you is, is related. Because there's a vacancy in the speaker's seat, because the House is not functioning a, as a governing body, with appropriations that are needed for Israel and also Ukraine, how critical is it right now that we don't have a functioning speaker slash house? It's a crisis. It's a crisis. And, uh, you know, we're besides the fact that we're in a crisis of a lack of leadership, it is a crisis for our country. It is a crisis for our friends. Um, It's really a crisis for the world. I mean, the United States is supposed to be the world leader. Um, and, you know, you mentioned really briefly the conflict that existed uh, with the judicial system in Israel. And I need people to understand that when a country is so divided that it is unable to function uh, in, in a, a pretty normal way, uh, enemies are watching. Mm-hmm. And that is the best time to to attack. This, this was definitely... Uh, you know, what I would consider a perfect storm for the enemy. And and I need people to understand the parallels that exist with our, within our own country. Um, we are losing um, our strength in general because we are not even doing the, the basics of self-preservation for our own selves. When we look at a Tuberville who um, is blocking the appointment of so many of our military heads um, when we look at the fact that we don't have ambassadors in the Middle East right now um, because of what has happened with Ron Paul um, and him having issues over uh, COVID restrictions and requirements and things like that. Um, we have people that are literally tearing us apart from within. And, and so it definitely makes it easier for the enemy to come on in. Um, and so we should learn from what we see uh, happened in Israel. And granted, obviously, you know, there's a lot of other different uh, factors. So I don't want to say as it's an apples to apples, but I, I do want people to understand that there are lessons that we should be learning um, about when our enemy wants to potentially uh, jump in and pounce. And to be clear, America has plenty of enemies uh, because I don't want people to believe that everyone loves us either, because that is absolutely not true. We've got to get back to governing. And I need people to be very serious when they go to the polls and think about these things um, and really put people into position that want to govern and are able to govern. And it is absolutely clear that the Republicans don't have the desire, nor do they have the ability to govern. And it's it's hurting us and it's hurting our friends. So let's shift to the chaos that you speak of, the crisis that you speak of in the House. Last night, Steve Scalise, who did win the nomination for the speakership, he abruptly withdrew. So like when Scalise says, hey, you fuckers are too crazy for me, it's got to be pretty crazy there. So where does this go? Is there going to be a speaker of the House anytime soon? Is there going to be a deal cut with Democrats? Is the liberals' fantasy of Speaker Jeffries uh, a real possibility? Or is there something in between that brings over some Democrats to support the uh, Republican side so that we can fill that seat and get back to the business of governing? 
Um, it, so I, I will clarify. I don't think that we've been governing anyway. Um, well, that, yeah, that, I mean, touche. I mean, we were, yeah, I mean, things were happening, but we were like hamsters on a hamster wheel. We were going right. around and around and around, um, you know, because if we were governing, we definitely would have already gotten through our appropriations bills and we yeah. have not. Um, and honestly, the only thing that we managed to do was run up on, uh, critical deadlines and finally at the last minute, uh, avoid those deadlines. Everything else has been a waste of time, money, uh, and resources to be perfectly honest. You know, Republicans don't have the ability to think strategically. And I, and I say that, and it may sound partisan, but it's completely just factual. Mm -hmm. um, you think about it when people kept saying, you know, do you think Matt Gates is going to vacate the speaker? And I was like, no, I think he likes the attention. I don't think that he's going to do it. And then people were like, he's got to do it because he's told everybody that he's going to do it. I was like, I don't think he's going to do it. Well, and I was like, if he's going to do it, he just needs to do it. And so then he does it, right? But then I was like, I mean, think about it. I was like, what leverage will he have if he doesn't have this tool to say, well, I'm going to vacate you. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, and then who is it going to be if it's not McCarthy? I'm like, there's, there's no, there's no plan. So I was like, he's not going to do it. But that was me thinking strategically and clearly mm -hmm. he was not right. And so here we are. Uh, there is no speaker. There is no one that the, the radical eight would ever agree to. Um, and if there's somebody that they would agree to, I can guarantee you, the others wouldn't, right? Like right. there is there is no one that is a consensus person within that caucus. And honestly, uh, you know, there's Democrats that are close. If if there are true moderates in the House, there are Democrats that are closer closer aligned to those moderate Republicans than the extreme eight. I mean that that's just the bottom line, right? right? Mm -hmm. Uh, and so, you know, if I was advising them, which of course they would never take my advice, you know, I would tell them that the, the path forward, number one, comes through the Democrats. Mm -hmm. That's number one. Uh, number two, they should probably find somebody that's in a Biden seat. They've got, I want to say 17 or 18 people that are sitting in Biden districts. And that person will be able to govern and go home and say, listen, I worked in a bipartisan way. I worked with Democrats, this and that. And the far right flank can complain, yell, scream and kick um, and do whatever performances they need to do so that they can get back to the House. Um, but those moderates would be saved uh, in a way and have a better shot, especially those in New York. They are very nervous. Uh, New York lost in court uh, or the Democrats won in court. There's going to be new lines that most likely will not help those Republicans that were already in Biden's seats. Mm -hmm. um, and so they really need to show that they can govern. Um, and right now, they will be tied down to the rest of the party. Um, and so I think that they should put someone in a Biden seat. That person uh, in a Biden seat may be able to get, you know, 100 or so votes out of the, the, the caucus. Um, and then they should go and talk to Hakeem and say, what can you do to lower the threshold? The other big problem that they have, though, to be honest, is that we only need 10 people gone from the Republican side and Hakeem wins. Right. Either they don't show up or they vote present. Um, they they really need somebody that can get their own 200 and something votes or whatever. Otherwise, they need to make a solid deal 
with Hakeem um, and get Democrats to vote present to lower the threshold for them instead of them potentially not showing up or 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 just voting present. But it only takes 10 to not be present. And I'm hearing rumors that some of them may have already left. Um, so, you know, we may luck into a speakership, but I, I definitely don't think that there would be a coordinated effort to get Hakeem into a speakership. I, I think so far, Hakeem Jeffries has played this brilliantly. The Democrats are, are united. <clears throat> How does it benefit Democrats to help Republicans fix their mess versus sitting back, letting them just play it out on their own? You know, hey, give us control of Congress and we'll fix everything. Well, we gave you control of Congress and this is what happens. Inertia, vac vacancies, total lack of leadership in governing. And just sit back and let them go through this chaos. And then in 2024, say, look, you tried the Republicans. Look what happened. Now give it back to us. Where's that fine line of like not wanting to harm the country, but also not wanting to return the gift that was given you in the last couple of weeks? Yeah, no, listen, um, I think that, you know, I, I said it the other day, as Democrats, you know, we, we definitely get uh, berated for our messaging skills or lack thereof. Mm -hmm. um, but, but even still, right? I mean, you tell me how many Republicans or potentially even independents I could talk to and say, well, they are incapable. They are chaotic. They are, I mean, it sounds partisan coming from me, right? Like it just sounds like, oh, you know, she's just being a Democrat versus I'm like, just look. Like, I, I'm just sitting here. Just you, you, I'm not saying a word, right? Um, it is, it, they are telling their own story. And even, you know, it's a bad day when Fox News is like, listen, we are going to lose the house. Like, this is, and I'm like, yes, thank you. Because you never should have been entrusted with it in the first place. And granted, we can get into all of the fights about how the state houses have cheated and gerrymandered these lines so bad, and even the Supreme Court had to throw up their hands, and it's a crazy day when this Supreme Court has to throw up their hands and say, no, 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 you guys were being too racist, right? Like, that is that is a big deal, right? Alabama, uh, Louisiana, mm -hmm. uh, hopefully, most likely, South Carolina, right? Like, I mean, it's, it's, just, it's, it's just craziness. And so, as far as I'm concerned, they cheated to get to this majority, and then after cheating to get there, they were not good stewards of what they cheated and got. You know, they are the dog that caught the car. You tweeted, this, you tweeted this week uh, in terms of Democrats helping Republicans, quote, I'm not here for helping folk that just want to be oppressive in return. And that's really yeah. what this boils down to. It's like, why would Dem knowing what Republicans do, how they renege on deals, why would yep. we help them? Let, let them just implode. Let, like, remember, like, let Trump be Trump. Let the GOP be the GOP. Should. Absolutely. And and the thing is, I, I hate the, 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 the double standard that exists, right? It's because Democrats are always the adults. If this was Nancy Pelosi, do you think that anyone would be saying, hey, Republicans, go help Nancy? No one would be saying that. No one would even expect that. But they always expect us to fix their mess and then they still get rewarded. And And I'm not here for it. Now, the fine line, uh, that part of it, you know, I, I think that it's important. It's kind of like the conversation we were having earlier, like where you were saying, well, what does Israel do under these circumstances mm -hmm. when Hamas hides behind civilians, things like that? Here's the deal. 
we've got to make sure, and, and you were talking about Hamas owning that this is Hamas that create, created this mess. The Republicans created this. Mm -hmm. So no one should blame the Democrats, period. That is, that is the bottom line. If we are struggling with uh, being able to pass appropriations, it's not because of Democrats. It is the Republicans who have failed to put a speaker in place. This is the easiest job that you have is, is doing your popularity contest and deciding who amongst you should run the country as the speaker. If you can't figure that out, I need Republicans and independents to hear me loudly and clearly. They will not figure out the more complicated issues around the budget, around the economy, around foreign policy, around any a climate, anything that we need fixed. They can't figure it out if they can't figure this simple thing out. Yeah. And, and I, I must say, I stand corrected. I, my question to you earlier should have been, how do we end the crisis so that we can get back to the normal business of chaos? Um, <laughs> so my last question to you, because I'd be remiss if I didn't bring this up. Your speech during the impeachment inquiry was beyond epic. I mean, it was it came out of you like fire. It was brilliant. And it was exactly the thing that needed to be said at that particular point in time, that Republicans are the biggest hypocrites in the world. You have a guy who is uh, charged with 91 felony counts, four indictments in four different jurisdictions, has been impeached twice. The judge called him a rapist, found liable for sexual assault, yada, yada, yada. yada. I could go on and on and on. But they are obsessing, obsessing with the imaginary guilt of the imaginary Biden crime family. And you just sort of hit that shit on the head in a way <laughs> that, I, I mean, I kind of watch that, I go back every few days and I watch it again because it's just, it's so inspiring to, to know that there are people like you in Congress who are not afraid to say what you said and especially in the way you said it. So I, I, I'm curious, I'm curious to know like how fired up were you that day? How excited were you to give that speech? So I was really pissed off. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I sat through the entire hearing and definitely the Republicans were dipping in and dipping out. But I was hearing them as they lied and they were not talking about the president. They were guessing that the president has done something wrong. They were spending a lot of time disparaging the president's son um, and just basically like, well, it's his son. So clearly, and I'm just like, this is not how this works. And this is a sham. This is bullshit. And, you know, they had this faux outrage about how corrupt Biden is. And, you know, if you want to be outraged about corruption, yeah, that, that, and I, and I respect people that genuinely are because we should, especially in the positions of power that we hold, we should all be appalled frustrated and denounce any corruption that we see, whether it's on our side or the other side. It should be a right versus wrong. We see this playing out very well in the Senate. Um, I am doing my best to stay out of Senate business, uh, but we see this in the Senate. The only people that have called for the resignation or, uh, or even now the expulsion of Menendez is Democrats. It's right. only Democrats. Mm -hmm. And it's like, are the Democrats the only ones with a moral compass, right? Like, and, and it doesn't matter who you are, but like, when you look at what the Republicans do, they are full of projection. 
So they want to get, you know, they want to censure Adam Schiff because he's so terrible and corrupt. So we're going to censure him. Mm-hmm. And they're the party of George Santos. I right. mean, like, seriously, right? Like, George Santos, you know, there's this expulsion um, uh, deal that's put up and they say, no, 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 table that, table that. I'm sorry. He has all these indictments that are directly related to him running for office. And you even thought, let me go ahead and at least pull him off these committees because this is going to be a bad look. And he was all upset because he wants to be on financial services, which is over banking. I mean, give me a break, right? Like, seriously, guys. It's insanity. Yeah. So, like, no, if we're going to talk about corrupt presidents, and we're going to talk about evidence of corruption, evidence of corruption using your position as president. Oh, we got some stuff we can talk about, and it's not Joe Biden. It yeah. ain't no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Uh, we've, we've got the pictures. So, yeah, I, I wanted to uh, call them the hypocrites that they are um, without necessarily saying the word hypocrite. Well, on behalf of sane and even insane Americans everywhere, I thank you for what you did that day. And keep up the good fight. You're an incredibly important voice in Congress. This was a great conversation, and I look forward to our next one. Absolutely. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. This episode of The Back Room was edited and produced by me, Andy Ostroy. It was co-edited and co-produced by Maddie Rosenberg and co-produced by Jen Hamoud. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Hollander, and our logo was designed by Cricket Langell. And special thanks to Patricia Wind. Please take a moment to rate and review the podcast, and also follow or subscribe. Until next time, keep your eyes on Washington, Hollywood, and your own backyards, and have a great week. Thank you.